Hello, and welcome to Mastering Dungeons. Well, that's weird. Usually Sean says this, and I'm looking around our arcane library here, and I see a lot of blood. That's not usually a good sign, but the blood is kind of bluish, tinted with purple. That's not Sean's blood, I don't think. No, uh, no, that's not. Yeah, and, and, and you just <laughs> stepped through a portal. Is this Jim Davis? Did, did Sean send you? Yes, yeah, I'm, I'm here to help. Uh, he projected an image uh, last night through a dream spell, and uh, lo and behold, here I am. Of course, I already knew that, uh, being an archmage myself, um, so I'm, I'm here to lend a hand. <laughs> How are you Fantastic. doing, <laughs> Thank you. It's nice to have you on here, Jim. Uh, <laughs> welcome to the show. Thank you for standing in while Sean is off wrestling monsters. If you would, tell folks uh, on the show, uh, tell our listeners a little bit about you and the WebDM team. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, for those uh, out there who don't know, um, I am uh, Jim Davis, uh, one of the hosts of uh, WebDM. We have a YouTube channel where we run, like, Dungeons & Dragons and uh, other tabletop RPG you know, inspirational and educational videos. Uh, we try to think of ourselves as, like, a video library of of content so in any given week you're like well you know i'm not sure that i'm feeling this week's video but a year from now that's your video <laughs> you know like when you just need to have something on in the background while you're doing prep or, or something so um that's us uh, we were founded um you know three of us uh friends sort of started business together uh with this and added in uh my wife and sort of partner emma as a uh, CEO and, and uh, co-partner uh, a few years ago and found ourselves as a, you know, sort of media creators and professional nerds. Uh, Absolutely. Almost by accident. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we're all over the place. Twitch channel, second YouTube channel for our actual plays uh, over at WebDM Plays. Uh, yeah. Wow. And just launched our first Kickstarter. So you're, you took the dual-wielding YouTube feat. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's impressive. <laughs> That's impressive. Uh, yeah, I took yeah. extra languages. I, I don't know if that was a good call. No, I, I wish that I'd, uh, I wish that I'd kept those for myself. <laughs> I let those proficiencies lapse. <laughs> yeah. I know Emma from a game that we played that I can't really talk about the details cause the product's not out, but the super fun right. thing was how she helped to attempt to murderize. She basically did the equivalent yeah. of throwing me out of a castle tower. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. and yet I, I look up to her for that. That was, it was great. I mean, I was yeah, not doing good things, so. <laughs> no, no, she plays for keeps uh, and, and prefers an evil game uh, if if she can convince a, uh, a group to <laughs> to go for it. She's our secret sauce. That's um, fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to talk later about your Kickstarter, um, but just to whet people's appetite, just tell me, like, give me the the elevator pitch of what this Kickstarter is that you currently have running. Yeah, so uh, I'm currently uh, running Worlds of WebDM, uh, Weird Wastelands, and it is a, a toolkit uh, for running games set in magically altered and twisted wastelands. Think of the Mornland from Sire <clears throat> or certain uh, deserts in the Forgotten Realms and uh, uh, Greyhawk, um, it, either as a full campaign in of itself, if you want to go the full Dark Sun, or as uh, resources to use for a one-shot or a short series of adventures. Awesome. Very cool. All right. So we'll talk more about apocalypses uh, and why they're so much fun. <laughs> right. Why the end of the world as we know it will have us feeling fine uh, later on. But we're going to get into some news. There's a fair bit of juicy news. It's not as mm -hmm. insane. Last week was, it felt like all the things were happening. 
uh, because yeah. of the book announcements. But there's still a lot going on. And we're going to start with um, an announcement around the first D&D live stream that has been teased out for um, the upcoming D&D live event. And, right. you know, last time, or I guess it was on our May 13th show, we talked about how Wizards of the Coast is partnering with G4. Mm-hmm. And we wondered, what will this mean? Because they're owned by NBC Universal. Well, now we hear this news that D&D Live will stream on both NBC Peacock app hey. okay. and on the G4 and Wizards of the Coast Twitch YouTube channels. Right. What do you think about that? That's um, like, uh, you know, your, your network TV adjacent. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, like that's that's an that's got to be an achievement for D&D uh, just as a a thing you know like i okay here's i'm gonna i'm gonna ramble for a minute but like yeah yeah i came into D rather late in my not late in my life it was like high school what am i talking about i was a senior in high school and i started playing but i've been gaming in like star wars and warhammer and other things for them and so like i didn't really have this like nostalgic experience for D. my D was always like right around the turn of second third edition and and I'd always heard about what it was like in the eighties. Like, Oh, there's a cartoon on and buy yeah. toys for DD and stuff. It's like, oh, all right, whatever. And like, surely we have achieved greater in this current era than, uh, than in that bygone age, like with like all the celebrities and the streaming, I, if it breaks down the barriers to people sitting around a table and throwing dice together and having fun, then I think it's a good thing for the hobby. Yeah. And like, it's, it's really cool to see. It's true. Now, there is one problem. There's one thing we have yet to achieve. I bring it up with Sean often, and that is we do not have D&D branded Bologna. Uh, there was yet. a Bologna product in Spain that was uh, D&D branded. Yeah. Uh, there's evidence. It was a rumor for many years, and then someone found a picture in a magazine. So we now know that it's true. Uh, so until we achieve D&D branded Bologna levels, right, right then... We're, we're close, we're, but but sure. yes, in many other ways, I agree with you, Jim, we have Get surpassed the, the baloney levels of the 80s in many, <laughs> many ways. And uh, do you want to share with folks who is going to be on this first stream game? Because it's a pretty sweet list. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we've got uh, the first game is announced to be DM'd by Kate Welch, uh, featuring Jack Black, Kevin Smith, Jason Muse, uh, Lauren Larkus, and Reggie Watts. I'm not, I'm not familiar with Lauren, but the rest of those so, names sound... Yeah. Lauren is from Orange is the New Black. She played the okay, kind yeah. of like nicer security guard. It was, yeah, she was okay, great. Yeah. Um, I know you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, very cool. Wow. What a list of people. And the funny thing is, there's also a question mark slot on this image. Yeah. And Kevin Smith said that the question mark is a, like, I, what was the quote? I know who the special guest is, and that special guest is an incredible get. Hmm. Mm, top game designer Sean Merwin confirmed. <laughs> <laughs> they wish uh, right, Sean's yeah. very busy. Yeah, they w- yeah, right. They'll keep trying. One day they might land Sean. Yeah, so that was cool. Uh, and then you know you mentioned the '80s, and this morning the first thing I did, my wife laughed because she sees my shared Google Calendar, and she goes, mm-hmm. "What is this mess you're doing?" Because 9 a.m. I had a reminder for secret layers. Mm. This morning, Magic the Gathering released a, a bunch of Secret Layers cards, which are this sort of special website you can buy cards from, and they'll have like beautiful art versions or something. And there's okay. some sort of limited nature to these cards. And I dutifully logged in. Like, yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And I logged in because they had two uh, boxes that were, uh, the art was based on the 80s Saturday morning D&D cartoon. Yeah. Oh, this is cool. Yeah. Oh, this, so, I did not know about this. This was, I'm going to have to be careful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, I mean, it's not an abs absolutely ludicrous price. I think it's like $30 for the not foil version and 40 for the foil, but, um, mm -hmm. But I, I could not say no to that. I, I love that cartoon. I have the DVDs. I watch them periodically. Uh, <laughs> I I want to be Uni or the Barbarian either way. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I, I The cartoon was one of those that, that I missed as a kid, but I had the action figures somehow. Nice. And I have been looked like, I had like the War Duke, I guess, and there yeah. was another another something. But yeah, there's a huge nostalgia factor for that cartoon because it just feels... I don't know, like I played that game before where I'm a, yeah. like when we were kids, we're like, all right, well, let's pretend it's really us. Yeah. In, you know, we're having to navigate these dangers. I've done that before. It's, it's very satisfying. It is so, great. Yeah. It is great. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I did grow up during those it, with that stuff in the 80s. Even in Columbia, South America, I had mm -hmm. friends who had been to the States and had bought all the figures. And so whenever I went to their house, we would play with those. Um, and, and yeah, did the same thing, sort of imagine like, what if I was this character and yeah, mm -hmm. and we'd, we'd watch, uh, bad dubbings of the cartoon on someone's VHS tape, <laughs> uh, which was a time honored tradition back then, but okay, let's stop dating ourselves. Let's sure, move sure. On. We're about to, yeah, we, we're about to <laughs> take a hard uh, turn into the cartoon. <laughs> back to the future with, uh, the DMs challenge. Yeah. which is now over on Sunday, uh, mm. was the, uh, I think Sunday at noon Pacific was the, the date by which everyone had to turn in their first step, which was revealed to be an ultimate complex trap. So you had to look at the, they gave you an excerpt from Xanthar's Guide to Everything about complex traps. Right. right. And anybody who wanted to join had to create one and turn it in. Did you do this, Jim? I didn't even, this was, this is news to me. I'm, right. I mean, I, I am, I'm learning about this right now, but that sounds really cool. I love like homebrew contests of like, mm -hmm. like one page dungeon is one of those. I think that maybe a lot of people heard about where it's like people all over turn in a, their one page dungeon since like, do you need something to fill your random games with for the rest of yeah. your life? Then like pick up one of these. Uh, so I, I, love, I love ones. Yeah. Yeah. They're awesome. I love one page dungeon. Uh, I was a, a judge one year for those and seeing, you know, like Will Doyle turned in a one page dungeon and I love his work. And it was just one of those things where you don't look at the name and you just look at the dungeon. And you're like, wow, this is really good. And you do your ratings for it and you're like, oh, Will Doyle. Yeah. Okay. Mike yeah, there goes. <laughs> but but then a lot of folks whose names I didn't know at all. And that's really the point yeah. is that, you know, anybody can sort of rise above. Yeah. Um, and, and this also reminds me of Paizo's RPG superstar, mm -hmm. right? And that launched a lot of careers as people would, would, uh, would turn in these entries and, and get notoriety and the, the top contestants would really, you know, receive, would, yeah. would earn a name for themselves for having achieved this. And it's tough because however many people tough, just yeah. entered, this is going to go through and they're going to pick out of however many submissions it was 10. Right. <laughs> yeah. There's probably, I'm not, yeah, I don't know how many submitted, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's in like. I don't know, four or five digits or something like, I don't know, but yeah. I'm yeah. always staggered by the numbers that D&D stats produces of like, you know, their earnings per year, how many people playing, things like that. Yeah. It's always, it's always more than I think. So yeah, there's yeah, a lot of good so ideas out there. Hopefully, uh, if, if those listening, if you were one of the people that submitted, good luck. 
Uh, July 16th to 17th is when they will announce the finalists during D&D Live. Mm-hmm. Um, they will then begin competing in a series of weekly challenges where each week one to two contestants will be eliminated. Now, that sounds kind of harsh, but the benefit of it is it sounds like people are going to get a fair bit of spotlight for those 10. Um, yeah. So I'm excited to see how that works because one of the that's really one of the great things is seeing, and I remember this from like RPG Superstar, week mm-hmm. to week getting a... a a sense of, of what they created and why. So that'll be neat. It also possibly an opportunity that even if you didn't make it to this round, or even if you didn't turn in at all, you can see what's going on and why people created one thing or another. I remember reading yeah. RPG superstar entries that were super interesting and neat. It's, it's one of those things where it's like that the hobby like flourishes in these individual tables, right? And it's, it's DM and their, their specific play group. And, and it's, and being able to like tap into that is one of the things I love about the homebrew community and the do-it-yourself community and, and like just D&D as a hobby is so wonderful. And so like to see them officially like supporting this with contests and, yeah. and promotions is really encouraging because I can recall a time when it was not like that. <laughs> and That's and true. to see the, to see like the official backing of like, no, we, we want to, sh- we want to uh, share this with you guys and like, yeah. yeah. That, that's really awesome. I, I bet there's a lot of cool stuff in this contest. I'm looking forward to seeing it. And uh, the final three contestants will be assigned a final challenge on September 2nd. The mm. winner will then be announced September 26th during D&D celebration. So congratulations to those who mm. entered. Just entering, you've taken a great step. Um, and the learning can only increase from there. Absolutely. Yeah. Now moving on to Adventurers League. Uh, the Yawning Portal site is where Adventurers League now posts their blogs. And they provided a short overview of the Mist Hunters program. Mm-hmm. I'm excited about this. This is premiering at the July virtual play weekend. So we'll see it next month. Mm-hmm. It is a story-driven campaign that is not combat-oriented. It is all Ravenloft themed. Uh, right. The focus is role play, exploration, and social interaction. They're making some interesting changes. They mm-hmm. um, Normally, you can go between... Uh, you can go up to six and sometimes even seven players at a at a table for a convention. And here it's three mm-hmm. to five is the deliberate. It's a knit and yeah, yeah. It seems like it's with a story driven approach like that. Smaller groups it just makes everything easier. People can um, you know really linger in a scene. I yeah. I play in a game where it's me and one other player, nice. and and like we're a year and a half into the game, and there's all this like rich interaction between our characters and and their backstories and their children and everything, and so like having a smaller group really facilitates that. That's that's really yeah. cool. No, um, the games are PG thirteen, but they'll delve into aspects of horror. Each game is or each adventure is I think providing you a different realm, a different domain of Ravenloft. Okay. Um, and one thing that's really cool is you get now, there's been some additional clarity on character creation and there's sort of mm-hmm. two ways you can do it. You can do what's called the self-guided experience. I'm sure we'll get more info on this later, yeah. or you can partner up with a DM and up to three other players to create characters together through a short experience that it also includes drawing cards from a Taroka deck. Ooh, that sounds fun. Yeah. Yeah. I like a character creation uh, mini game like that. Greg Mark said on Twitter that uh, this is an alt campaign. So the current alt campaign is Oracle of War, which is the Ebron campaign. And so he said this is an alt campaign and uh, that 
he said sort of there's always one alt campaign. Mist Hunters is stepping up to fill the slot previously filled by Oracle of War, which is wrapping up. And I said, well, can there ever be two? Uh, maybe. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> but I think the, the main important part is this is officially an alt campaign that sort of has its own separate rules. It doesn't connect to anything main. And that's, that's the important part of that. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. looking forward to trying this and I think it's a great, if you haven't done adventures league, this is a neat way to do something. It's, if you, and you like story driven and this is a neat yeah. way to jump into that. That's um, interesting. I'm, I'm curious, like how, like the influence of more story driven streams and the like has on this, because like, yeah. that's, that's been a style of play that I've only just like started to experience. I, I was much more of a combat as war dungeon as a tactical challenge kind of approach. And, and like, I love that style of game and, it's, it's been fun to expand my horizons and see like there's a style of D and D that's like can accommodate that as well. Like, yeah. And I, it's, it, it, I'm, I'm, I'm really curious about this cause it's, it's sort of like getting to see that influence and how they're going to support it is a uh, yeah. interesting part of how the hobby's growing and changing. It's, it's come a long way since the days of the, the you know, the tournaments where it would be, mm -hmm. you know, make it through the hidden shrine of Tamuakan in <laughs> X minutes. But then again, even oh, back yeah. then, there would be some situations that were very uh, different. And I've heard old timers talking about things like, you know, it was a tournament and we never left the tavern because we were having so much fun. And it's like, okay. Yeah. 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 My, my theory is like, you know, that, that it was the desire to focus in on the personalities of like that one little miniature over there in our war game. I want to know what that one is doing. And let's take that one on a, an adventure. So like even the birth of the hobby when it's its most war gamey there's still that like wanting to explore a, a persona and a world that uh that you can see the through line for yeah. it's awesome yeah love absolutely it. um all right so let's move on to another thing that i really love which is arcadia yeah. uh this is mcdm's magazine have you taken a look at any of these issues I have. I have not seen issue five, but um, the others are phenomenal. I, I really, uh, really love them. Yeah. So this should release by the time that uh, this records. We received an advanced copy, though. I, I also uh, I'm a Patreon subscriber of this. Mm. I, I'm allergic to monthly things, but, uh, but this is a really <laughs> good monthly thing. Um, so we have a couple of, of articles, three articles in this issue. And they are good ones. Long-term curses, Leon Barillo, uh, Barillado returns. Uh, uh, I've worked with uh, Leon uh, as an editor in the past. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, they had created, uh, I forget what, what the, I think it was an adventure last time that, that involved sort of machines going out of control. Yeah, I recognize and, the name for, uh, from one earlier publication, yeah. yeah. Yeah, cool. I think it's issue one. And then now returns with six long-term magical curses that cannot be removed by a simple remove curse spell. And it's fun because I think this is sort of that that parallel evolution where uh, the new Raven and Rickman's book has some mm -hmm. ideas around mm -hmm. these long-term curses. And these are, are, are different. They're not the same mold as the Van Richten, but they do have this idea of a strong thematic element. I'd say stronger thematic element in this case. Yeah. And the unique method of ending the curse. That's really cool. Like, like I can, I, we played through Curse of Strahd and like I was a paladin and we had a cleric and our ranger in the party got infected with a werewolf lycanthropy, yeah. level four. But because, but at the end of the session, we leveled up and the first thing out of our cleric's mouth was like, well, can I just remove this curse so that we don't have to deal with her being a werewolf? And all I could think of was like, what wasted adventurous yeah. shenanigans? Like, what if we had to go on an adventure to have that happen instead of just dinging? <laughs> you know, so that's that's really cool. Yeah, I, I like this. And and these have um, 
a number of interesting possibilities. One of them that I thought was really, and they, they run, there's a wide variety here in this article. One of them, for example, is that you can see the future, but mm -hmm. no one believes you. Ooh, and I thought, I wow, that. the DM can have fun with that, I right? And that. whatever you that's say, no one voice. can believe, right? Like, you know, that's trapped. That. No one believes you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Get out of here. <laughs> um, then we get the gold monger, gold monger subclasses. Carlos Cisco provides three subclasses based on greed. And as an Acquisitions Incorporated fan, these were just perfect. Right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> in fact, I, I have trouble believing it's not Sean Merwin who wrote these. They also have some amazing art. Wait till you see the like Minotaur that it has like, you know, a gilded horn and this really Ooh. cool nose ring and goblins and they're all blinged out with gold. Nice. It's fantastic. Very cool. Very you cool. get a cleric of the avarice domain, a druid with the circle of the gilded, a paladin Ooh. with the oath of acquisitions. And then we also get, if you have the Stronghold and Followers book by MCDM, you get Goldmonger Retainers uh, as additional rules. That's really cool. Like, I, that reminds me of, like, uh, with the Golden Company from Game of Thrones, maybe. Like, yeah. Just, like, really expensive mercenaries or something. Yeah. That's really cool. Like, to me, I I mean, I still love a, a classic D&D experience of, like, we're going down in this dangerous place to get some gold because we want to spend it getting drunk and like having uh subclasses framed around that is really cool well like that uh the last article is alabaster's almanac by sam manel nine new spells they range in level from first to ninth uh two of my favorites are compelling propulsion at level two which has a, as a reaction you can push away a creature that's approaching you that's mm. kind of neat very cool and then Gaze of Venom, level six, gives you a gaze attack that deals damage and poisons, as in the condition. Uh, but the funny part is it does have that drawback that if you see your own reflection, you are subjected <laughs> to it. And I oh, thought I that was that. just brilliant. Really. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. You throw that, like, you have like a villain use that so that you, the players sort of feel clever by like, oh, I had that mirror from first level. Yes. I'm going to try to use it. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Great stuff. Um, so then we have Sean Merwin made an appearance. I, I've heard of him. Uh, mm -hmm. He uh, appeared on Owlbear Soup, which is a show that's part of the Saving Throw Show Network. Uh, he was on this last Sunday discussing monsters and many other topics. You can find that on the twitch.tv slash Saving Throw Show. And then they will move it over to their Owlbear Soup YouTube. And finally, we're going to get to the new Strixhaven Unearthed Arcana. We talked about it last week with Sean at just a very high level. Jim, you're familiar with this. So let's let's talk about what is in this Unearthed Arcana, and I want to Still. hear your opinions on it. Yeah, I, I mean, this, first off, there's five subclasses that are these sort of umbrella subclasses that other... You know, any one of like what druid, warlock, sorcerer, bard, and wizard can uh, yeah, select from depending on time. Yeah, it's not it's, the cleric and not, not the, the artificer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, the art. Yeah, the artificers are real. I'm really like the cleric makes sense. Mm -hmm. There's a lot mechanically about the cleric subclasses that like that's where their channel divinity divinity powers are, and to get that eighth level damage rider, you know. Yeah. And like yeah. thematically, it'd be that stretch like they're worshiping the college you know like <laughs> it makes sense like yeah, that's, yeah. it Maybe. sucks i guess but um but yeah no artificers i'm sad about that 
Yeah, that was interesting. Was that, so. that also can be a little hard to balance out. But e yeah. even then, the design challenge is really interesting. And so, mm -hmm. you know, what they've done Certainly. here is they have taken, created a subclass that you get regard as long as you qualify for that type. So they're sort of thematically typed. And mm -hmm. then what the subclass will do is it'll say at w when you for your class are told to take a subclass or a subclass feature, you get the one from this college. So yeah. your, your level is sort of um, still your same level. So if you would have gotten at level three, a subclass feature, you do get a, a subclass feature at level three, but it's the, you know, maybe the first one that's on the list of this subclass. Mm -hmm. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, it, this is one of those where like the way that subclasses are designed in 5e and how they each have a different breakdown of when you get the benefits yeah. and, and even like how much impact a subclass has on the base game, how it plays is like a strength and a limitation. Yeah. And so like you can see it with the bard, like the bard only gets three subclass picks. Usually their mm -hmm. third level is like packed, you know, and <laughs> and so they're 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 having to like miss out on one of the features where a wizard or a warlock or whatever isn't and yeah. like it's one of those things in a home game you can always just go no take it at level 10 you know like yeah. it's fine yeah. but, but you can't do in a, a you know in a document like that but, yeah. Uh, yeah yeah and the concept of this thematically uh around strixhaven because strixhaven is a magic the gathering world we know that there's mm -hmm. going to be a book that'll be on this uh, topic that'll let you play adventures in Strixhaven, just like we had Ravnica uh, and oh, Theros. Yeah. So now we're getting Strixhaven. Strixhaven is something that, that should be appealing to a lot of people. It's the idea that you are in a magical school. Uh, mm. It was created by five dragons that gathered like 700 years ago, five spellcasting dragons. They each created a college and the colleges work together, but also compete and they have different angles of study. In Magic mm. the Gathering terms, they all have two colors. So they're a dual color focus uh and that kind of creates the theme and, and concept of of each of these so uh we included in our show notes a link to a magic um website that walks through uh strixhaven there's a guide to strixhaven there that's really useful uh, a lot of neat flavor and of course gorgeous art that helps you imagine these so i can't wait to see what the <laughs> final book looks like yeah um, the, the, looking through the guide uh yeah. there on the the mtg side is like it sold it for me because it's like yeah. oh okay that's what the lore holds statues look like or it makes sense that warlocks could be a part of it like they're making a pact with one of the dragons or, or something like that yeah. uh or or admission like their patron is just paying for their admission to the college like <laughs> that kind of thing you know they there's still an archfey in the background going well, we expect results kind of you know um yeah. And so it, it sold it. I, I personally, I really like the the Magic the Gathering offerings from Fifth Edition. I'm I'm a big fan of like inter, interjecting like new ideas and new yeah. just new concepts into D and D, and I find them to be some of the more innovative books that Fifth Edition's put out. And I'm yeah. excited for it. Like it might not be my like it might not be like I'm you know the target audience for it, but like I'm glad it exists and I'm glad they're innovating and experimenting uh, with this game of theirs. You know. Yeah, I was really surprised by Theros. Theros is one of my favorite uh, mm -hmm. books of last year. Maybe maybe my favorite in terms of just the overall design and vision. I thought yeah. this is a great campaign you could run, and, and it doesn't matter yeah. if it's Magic the Gathering or not. Uh, just that concept of having a short campaign in this book with this rich, everything here yep. that's here that's so richly described, boom, win. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, there's stuff in that book I think should be in the DMG. 
yeah. <laughs> for like how to handle divine portents and omens yeah, things. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it really makes you feel heroic, <laughs> and and the going between the underworld and normal world. Oh yeah, really fun ideas. Really awesome. Yeah. So Magic Gathering has a ton of cool settings, and like there's awesome art. It just it makes sense. I I understand some of the pushback, you know, from long term D and D fans who. You know, but we haven't had Planescape since second edition. Like it's all, you know, we, it, it'll be okay. There's the old books are still around. New yep. blood's all right. And yep. uh, we'll get it one day, you know? <laughs> yeah. So let's look at these different colleges. We have the mage of Lorehold first. This requires yeah. a bard, a warlock, or a wizard. Uh, the college itself of Lorehold is, uh, if you think of it in Magic the Gathering terms, is red and white. They are dedicated to the pursuit of history by conversing with ancient spirits and understanding the whims of time itself. So then you get a couple of features, and as we said before, your actual class will dictate when you get them. The first one, you get some spells. This requires level one or higher. Um, you learn Sacred Flame. You get Comprehend Languages, the level one spell. Mm. And then you get some extra spells that are granted at various other levels they count as class spells. They don't count against the number of spells you know. If you're a wizard, you get to add them to your book. So all that typical stuff. Worth noting that, say, fifth level gives you spirit guardians. So there's some, yeah. you know, power the in there. Destructive wave, too, at night. Yeah. That's, not, that's normally paladin only, right? I think, like yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. So it's, it's uh, some neat ways to cross over if you like that. I'm always a little worried about intruding on other classes, but, yeah. you know, yeah. it, it, it can it's, be fun. It's a weird thing, right? Like they're they're trying to recreate the flavor of of the five colors and magic with D and D spells, and so in some ways they have to like cross those yeah. lines of like, mm -hmm. well, clerics, you're going to have some cleric magic over here, wizard, and things like that. So I like to see the the attempt to make those concepts fit, even if it is, even if it does produce some weird results. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you can always at your table encourage folks to say, all right, listen, you know. You know, do we want two people with spirit, spirit guardians? Are you taking away from the cleric? You can have those conversations. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's always those coordinations, and, and yeah, certainly. So the other feature you get at this level one plus is ancient companion. When you finish a short or long rest, you can call forth a bond with a spirit of the ancient dead. They inhabit a medium freestanding statue within ten feet of you to serve as your ancient companion. And this is the part that I didn't understand, and I can't wait to the poll is. If there isn't a statue, can I what? not use this feature? That's what it sounds like, right? That's like you have to carry around a medium object. Did you, <laughs> did you dump strength? <laughs> did you take Tensor's <laughs> floating disc? You just like, walk up to the barbarian. Do you mind carrying this statue for exactly me everywhere right. we go? Yeah, yeah. Do you mind rolling a Goliath or something so that you have some extra carrying capacity? No, I, I, I love the look of it. Like, like I'm immediately sold on this idea, right? Of I can <laughs> animate a statue with the spell. The art looks sure. cool, uh, but but the idea of like the idea of needing the the, the object uh, of it suggests either a couple things to me like this is custom for Strixhaven. There must be a lot of statues around. Then you can just the wizard or whoever can just assume that there's a medium statue within eyesight. You know, yeah, I mean, it, it just it gets, <laughs> you know, sometimes you're in an ancient cavern that has seen no people, right? Or like, yeah, you're out in the wilderness where there's no civilization. I, you know, why is there a statue here? I, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. assuming we get past this, and you know, maybe you agree with your <laughs> table, you conjure it, maybe after playtesting and uh, feedback, they'll change it up. But you get a, a stat block. Uh, this is basically like a summon monster type situation. 
And so we have a stat block that covers this. And as we've seen in, in other design in Tasha's and earlier, you get to choose the type healer, sage, or warrior. Mm -hmm. So you've got this spirit that's inside of a statue. It shares your initiative, takes its turn right after yours. If you don't tell it to do anything, it, it dodges. Um, but then if it's, if you're incapacitated, it acts normally on its own self-interest, uh, as an action, you can expend a spell and heal it. There's rules for that. And then you get to choose, but depending on the flavor you chose, you will get, uh, different benefits. So like the sage version, you get a plus two to allies, intelligence, and wisdom checks. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, that feels the, smallish. <laughs> I guess. That's going to be picked very little because the healer can take an action to grant an ally uh, with 1d8 plus your proficiency bonus and temporary hit points. So we see more yeah. of this temporary hit point doling out. And the warrior can take a reaction to give an adjacent ally a d4 to add to a strength or dex save. So healer mm. to me seems just yeah stronger. scales you know with it, there's there's a lot to like about it on demand temp hp is is nice you know especially yeah. throw it on like a barbarian you know that that's yeah. it's going to go a long way um yeah the healer does seem like a strong option here uh, yeah. at least and we'll see it gets uh increased later so lessons of the past is level six or higher when you bind with your spirit companion you gain an additional benefit so here it is you now if it's a healer uh, your hit point maximum now increases by amount equal to your level in this class, mm. and you gain the same number of hit points. So it's a lot like the aid spell. Yeah. Whenever yeah. you gain hit points from a spell, you get an additional 1d8 hit points. Mm. Yeah. Sage, okay. yeah. you have advantage <laughs> on ability checks using arcana, history, nature, and religion skills. And once per turn, when you deal damage to a creature with a spell of first level or higher, you can deal an additional D8 force damage to that creature. So now Sage option gets a little teeth. The only thing right. here is that if you're a warlock, yeah, you have fewer of... spell slots, so you're not going to use this very often. No, no, it's nice for, you know, like the, the, the wizard, but warlock, to me, the warrior is where warlock is going to be at. Um, that's, yeah, uh, talk about that one? Yeah, yeah, sure. So uh, using the warrior option, um, when you use your action to, to cast a cantrip, you can make one weapon attack as part of that action. Uh, and if that attack hits, it gets an additional D8 radiant damage. So, like, I'm immediately thinking of all the kinds of shenanigans you can do with, like, all right, well, Blade Ward is a cantrip that might be of use now for you. Could you make that extra attack? Or, like, I don't know, I maybe I'm a warlock that can create my own heavy crossbow. And <laughs> I'm going to Eldritch Blast and get a free crossbow yeah. shot with it, you know? That's like, it, it could be uh, a, a significant damage boost, I think. Um it yeah. also supports a lot of concepts, so I, I like that uh, part of it. Yeah. Uh, level 10 plus is War Echoes. Once per turn, when a creature you can see hits a target with an attack roll, you can use your reaction to force the target to make a Wisdom saving throw against your spell save DC. On a failure, the target becomes vulnerable to one of the damage types you just dealt mm -hmm. to it. That vulnerability lasts until the end of the target's next turn and affects the damage dealt by the triggering attack as well. That, yeah. That, that might... This is a nasty one. Like it could easily eat up uh, your 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 showcase big bads uh, hit point pool. If if this is like you know a uh, a rogue crits or a paladin crits or something like this could be nasty. Um, I can't really think of anything comparable to it in it's like a spell good. or yeah. Like it's one of those things cleric. that it's not a problem if nobody's thinking about it, but if your party at all dedicates mm -hmm. to it, or if they have, like you said, the ability to reliably deal a lot of damage, 
yeah like through through um a paladin's smiting or a rogue sneak attacking and you're gonna double that that's boof yeah yeah this this could be very nasty um i i would expect to see this kind of toned down a bit by the time publication comes because i look at it and i go man i oof. And that's what efficiency bonus times per day or per long rest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Number of times you put your proficiency bonus yeah. uh, and it refreshes the long rest, which is still, even though it's only limited, it's still that you don't need it's going to happen against it. your big fights, which are supposed to be your challenging fights. And uh, I don't know. Yeah. Don't love yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. This was supposed to be a mythic monster. <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore. It's over in two rounds. Yeah. It's hit points are gone in two rounds. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> suddenly you're adjusting the, yeah, it's still up. <clears throat> right. Right. <laughs> uh, history's whims is your level 14 or higher. You learn how to briefly channel the wild nature of time itself as a bonus action. You can enter a state of chronal chaos when you enter the state. And at the start of each of your subsequent turns, you gain one of the benefits of your choice. So you have three choices, luck, you can see the future. And whenever you make a saving throw against an effect that deals damage, you can roll a D six and add that to the total. So boost your saves resistance. You have resistance to bludgeoning, piercing and slashing damage swiftness. Your movement speed increases by 15 feet and you don't provoke opportunity attacks. Benefit lasts on the starting next turn. And interestingly, you cannot choose the same benefit two rounds in a row. So you have to switch it up. That's the whole interesting. Yeah. feature lasts one minute, ends early for incapacitated, and then you have to do a long rest to get it back or expend a spell slot of level four or higher. Yeah, like there's a lot of interaction here. There's, you know, just, you know, round to round decision making on the player's part. Like, I'm not sure, you know, if you, if you were handing this subclass like to a new player, you just want to warn them, <laughs> you know, it might be a bit much. There might be too many decision points. I stopped playing casters largely because I was like, I, when it gets to my round, I'm, I want to be fast and, and mm -hmm. want to be action, you know, packed and, and paced. And so that could slow things down, but I just, I like the interaction of it though. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, you, you don't know which one of these you might have. You could switch between one every other round, but it's a really cool feature. There's a lot to like. Yeah, it's neat, but it is, yeah, every round you're going to have to... Uh, think through which of these you're using and that can slow things. And then yeah. of course it'll interact with it. Assuming it comes up, you have to sort of constantly remind, well, action resistance of this or mm -hmm. use my reaction. Yeah. I would, if it were me, if I was a player, I would have some sort of visual reminder for which one of these I had going like a colored bead or certain die colors or something. Um, Cause it's like, if, if it's, if it's you and then the player next to you has a similar you know, this thing, and then the DM's running five or six monsters, then that could, that's, that's how you end up with hour long combat rounds. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's move on to yeah. a mage of Prismari from the Prismari college, which has blue, red colors and magic, the gathering dedicated to the visual and performing arts bolstered with the power of the elements. Kind of cool concept. So you mm -hmm. can be a druid sorcerer or wizard to enter this college. Your first uh, feature at level one plus will gain you proficiency in two of the skills out of acrobatics, athletics, nature, performance. And then also level one plus is kinetic artistry. You can dash as a bonus action. When you do that, you get to choose an effect. Boreal sweep is icy water swirls around you. It allows you to move across the surface of water as if it were solid. And when you leave a space within five feet of creature, you can force that creature to make a strength saving throw against your spell save DC. If they fail, they are knocked prone. A creature can be affected by the water only once per turn, but you can affect multiple creatures. It's 
I'm curious as to when they go prone, because that would affect the opportunity attack as you leave their their uh, reach. Mm. So, I mean, I, I'm seems like to me the intent is to like you knock them over and then they're on the ground as you're flying by them, uh, kind of thing. But it it didn't seem clear. It's yeah. a good yeah. question. Yeah. The other option is Scorching Whirl. Flames read your steps. Once before the end of your turn, you can force each creature within five feet of you to make a dex save, or they take the fire damage equal to D4 plus your spellcasting modifier. So basically, at one point, you're bursting with fire. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, cool. Mm -hmm. Nice little AoE bonus. <laughs> Then Thunderlight Jaunt, you take on a nimble lightning form. Until the end of your turn, you can move through the space of other creatures. You do not provoke opportunity attacks. If you end your turn inside a creature's space, you're simply pushed into the nearest unoccupied space. You can use a bonus action to do this whole thing, this dash plus effect. A number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, you get them all back with a long rest. Hmm. It's yeah. an interesting feature, like this movement-based, but like none of the classes that this is for seem to fit that play style. So yeah, I'm a druid sorcerer wizard, yeah. Yeah, like mm -hmm. I'm surprised Bard isn't on here. Like I know they don't have a lot of elemental spells to fit the theme, but like it seems a natural fit. It's, you know, they could have a, no bonus spell list. They you know, so and just like by that by this point when I'm reading through this, I'm like, okay, what play style is this for? Like what <laughs> what like is it is it a niche we don't know we need filled yet? Uh so I'm, I'm kinda curious. Uh I don't know. But you could build yeah. around or you could make sort of a burst you know, take the burst cantrip. So you sort of get yourself into trouble, yeah. use your burst cantrip, get out of trouble with this benefit. Yeah, I, I can see that being fun. Right. Get like Sorcerer especially, I can a... see it work. Sure. You get oh, in yeah, position yeah. for thunder wave. Oh, it didn't mm -hmm. push that one that's next to me away, but now I use this. Yeah, now I use this, yeah. Mm -hmm. I get best position for a lightning bolt or a cone of cold or something yeah. like that. Yeah. So at level six plus, you have favored medium. You have honed your forms of elemental expression to best suit your needs. Choose a type of damage, cold, fire, or lightning. You have resistance to it. And when you cast a spell using a spell slot that deals that type of damage you chose, you emit a spectacular aura of artistry, which extends five feet from you in every direction, but not through total cover, lasts until the end of your next turn. While that aura is happening, each creature of your choice has resistance to your chosen damage type while within the aura as you shape your favorite elemental medium around them. You can change your choice of damage type when you finish long rest. That is way too many words. Yeah, that's a, that, that is a meaty ability. You know, I, to me, this speaks for a game where there's a lot of caster on caster fights hmm. because it's like, if I'm fighting elemental creatures, like I want fire resistance, but I'm not going to be using fire spells. You know, for instance, but like if I'm fighting another mage and I don't know what they're going to cast round around, like, like I can always, you know, tell myself, well, fire is always a good resistance if I'm fighting another caster. You know, I they might the, have a firebolt. So, I, so that's what it seems like. But, but it, it also feels, I mean, in essence, what this is, is if you use a spell of, let's say, cold, then mm -hmm. now people within five, I can choose anybody within five and decide where they are, whether they get this benefit of being resistant to cold. But mm -hmm. that suggests I'm thinking cold is coming in. Then why am I attacking cold? Right, yeah. Because Why would I be using if I'm fighting a, yeah. you know, a, a, a um, you know, a, a dragon that would deal cold damage to me, I'm probably not going to want to attack with cold. So it's, I don't know about this. <laughs> yeah, this this is definitely one where it's like, if I was playing this character, I've taken the, what is it, the elemental add-up feats that, that let me kind of overcome those, those resistances. Yeah. yeah. 
you know, yeah. I'm like, I know I'm always going to go lightning or cold or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Be worth investing in those, but I don't think a subclass should need a feat. Yeah. To Agreed. be complete. Um, but yeah. Level 10 plus, we have focused expression. Once per turn, when you deal damage to at least one target, you gain an additional effect determined by the damage type chosen by your favored medium feature. So if you chose cold, one of your targets gains an additional D6 cold damage, con save, or their speed is reduced by 10 feet. Um, they can only be affected once per round by this. Fire, one of your targets of your choice takes an additional D6 fire damage. Fortifying flames then dance around one creature of your choice within 30 feet of you. The chosen creature gains D6 temporary hit points. Hurt one, boost another. Lightning, mm -hmm. one of the targets of your choice makes an additional D6 lightning damage and must make a dexterity saving throw against your spell save DC. On a failed save, target is unable to take reactions until the end of its next turn as residual lightning shocks its form. Yeah, like, I, the, the idea of a rider for a spell is cool, like an elemental sense. Um, but like a second saving throw, uh, I, I'm usually like, two dice? Come on. I got a lot going on back here behind the screen. Um, and this looks like it's yeah, always, yeah. right? This is every... Yeah, like once per turn. And you can yeah. like, you know, you're generally only casting well, one of those a turn. So, I mean, I, other than niche cases of like Hellish Rebuke, you yeah. know, or something... Uh, can't think of any elemental spells outside of your turn, but yeah. Yeah. yeah this is, yeah, <laughs> I think we agree. There's, yeah. It's just, I guess, you know, if you're, if you're into the theme of this, it fits. I think that, I think that like this idea of like elemental expression through, through like performance and magic is like an, an art that you, that you engage in these, this fits with it, but mm -hmm. it also feels like they're adding a lot to the process of play. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. Yeah, with you. yeah. Uh, level fourteen plus impeccable physicality. Your relentless dedication and training have instilled an outstanding sense of precision and grace in your art. You gain proficiency in dex saving throws if you don't already have it, and when you make a dex saving throw, you can treat a roll of nine or lower as a ten. Yeah. I wish I had evasion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is yeah. one where I felt like the subclass was all over the place trying to sort of make up for Magic the Gathering cards that might be associated with this college. Yeah, that it did have that feel of it. Um and and I I don't know like to be the, like I said the bard does feel like it's missing here if only thematically. But I there's just it feels half baked. There's like there's something else needed in it. Um uh, just to sort of speak of what kind of play style it, it's going for and support it. But I like the theme of it. Like I'm not, I'm not, uh, I, yep. hope it, I hope it sees some, some refinement. <laughs> Do you want to tell us uh, about the Mage of Quandrix? Yeah. Yeah. So the Mage of Quandrix is a, uh, based on a blue green uh, deck from the magic set uh, dedicated to the study and manipulation of nature's core mathematical principles. Uh, and it is for sorcerers and wizards. Um, they get uh, bonus spells with uh, cantrip guidance and first level spell guiding bolt, and then additional spells at uh, five, seven, or three, five, seven and nine. Um, some cool stuff here. There's a lot of neat little uh, additions to, uh, to the spell list uh, that they get. But um, this next feature though, the functions of probability is a doozy. Uh, this was their uh, level one mage of Quandrix feature. Um, so when you cast a spell using a spell slot that targets at least one creature, you can choose that creature or another creature within 30 feet of it, including yourself, and you can add one of the following effects. 
the first effect is diminishing function. The chosen creaser must succeed on a wisdom saving throw against your spell save DC, uh, or they have to roll the D6 and subtract that number from their next attack roll before the start of your next turn, uh, which is, that's a lot of die rolling. <laughs> uh, and then a uh, supplemental function is uh, uh, once before the start of your next turn, the chosen creature can roll a D6 and add the number to an attack roll or saving throw of its choice. The creature can roll the D6 after rolling the D20, but must decide before any effects of the roll occur, which is, excuse me, uh, which seems like a, the, the whole, like, I've rolled, but I don't know what it means. Is the DM, do I have yeah. a DC or not? Like, it just feels clunky. I feel like D&D has started to take that out. So it was strange. Here and somewhere else it appeared, mm -hmm. uh, the same wording. And it's like, no, no, just, let's just let people roll after we know what happens. Like, just Yeah, yeah, just the, the cleanest way possible. Like, at some point it's magic, so it's okay that it's sort of like metagamey. Like, oh, I didn't know if I succeeded yet let me add this but um i think it fits certainly fits for the theme uh of the class but what do you think about the fact that like every time they're casting a spell with a slot they get this essentially bardic inspiration plus a half-baked bane yeah on top I, of it what i feel like yeah, yeah no i'm not a fan of that because it, it, it i think if i if i were playing a bard i would look at this and go why are you are you endlessly getting this like <laughs> Yeah, if, yeah. If you, if you just did supplemental function, which is the giving someone a D6, every time you're using a spell slot, you're giving them a D6, essentially bardic inspiration for attacks yeah. or saves. What am I, chopped liver? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I'm, I haven't done the math on it, but I'm pretty sure that both sorcerer and wizard have more spell slots than bards have uses of bardic inspiration, mm -hmm. if I'm not yeah. mistaken. So. Yeah, this it does feel like it's stepping on like both some thematic and mechanical toes uh, yeah. with other classes, especially like a core function of another class. Yeah. Um, so it it also just feels like a bit much because I was like, I would love this. Yeah. I'd use it all the time. Like, why wouldn't I? Oh, right? sure. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it, there's no question about its benefit and and the idea mm -hmm. that you can either debuff somebody or buff somebody. It's it's lovely benefit to get. I just don't know the game should be handing it out. Yeah. Yeah. It, <laughs> To me, what I was looking at it was like, it's. I was thinking of the divination wizard and portent, and it's just that elegant two d twenty. You have those two numbers you can sub them out, and how difficult it is to do more with that. Like it's so mm -hmm. nice and simple and elegant right there that you can like repackage it and and give it to other subclasses, but eventually it'll just feel lackluster. Yeah. And so, like doing something similar means you kind of do have to go more complex. And, and, you know, or, or I don't know, that's, that's sort of yeah. where my thoughts kind of ended up with it was like, oh, this sucks. It's not just like divine portents and you just get a, hand, a pool of numbers to substitute or something. Yep. So we get velocity shift at level six. Uh, tell me about that, Jim. Yeah. So this is velocity shift. When a creature you can see starts its turn or moves to a space within 30 feet of you, you can use your reaction to force the creature to make a charisma saving throw against your spell save DC. Uh, which it can choose to fail. On a failure, the creature is teleported to an unoccupied space of your choice that you can see within 30 feet of you, which I assume to mean in the air, a free, <laughs> you know, like, first off, I, I feel like from a DM's perspective, I, this will get annoying fast for me. Yeah, yeah. I will just be like, all right, you're gonna, I, this, we're about to have an arms race. <laughs> to, everyone's going to start within 
60 feet of you. Um, it just, it's like, it's, that's really, that feels like a blue card, you know? Yep. Uh, it it no, feels Joey. like a, nope, no, you didn't <laughs> kind of moment. Um, so yeah, yeah. you you can uh, use this reaction a number of no, times equal to your efficiency bonus. Uh, get regaining him at the end of a long rest. So at least it's not all the time, but it's still too many times. Still too, that's a it, lot. If yeah. it's, if it's not on solid, if, if it had a requirement of being on solid ground, I wouldn't have a huge problem with it. But the yeah. idea that you could be knocking people prone and dealing extra damage to them by suspending them in the air, which is what you would always want to do is a little much. Um, that's so a spell. That's, that's different. Cause that's a spell slot. And, and like that, yeah, that could have been any, you know, it's, it's the difference between a class feature and a spell sometimes where it's like, if it's a spell, I'm okay with it because that costs something extra. Um, but this was just, whew, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, that's not all Quandrix is a doozy, I think, uh, cause we actually have null equation, which is the level 10 feature. Uh, that's through careful calculations. You, you beset your enemies with abstract equations to reduce their might. Uh, once per turn, immediately after dealing damage to a creature, you can force the creature to make a constitution saving throw against your spell save DC. And then on a failure, it has disadvantage on strength and dexterity saving throws, and its weapons attacks only deal half damage no. uh, until the start of your next turn. That's kind of nasty. Like, you don't see that many individual target debuffs anymore. Yeah. And you can do that number of times equal to your proficiency mm -hmm. bonus as well. Yeah. It's still going to be like your big fights. I mean, and the thing about this is that a lot of times in, in, in home campaigns and even in published adventures, you may just have one fight in a day. Mm -hmm. So whatever you throw at them, this will be applied to them, right? Like you, the biggest thing you throw at the players are going to, they're going to probably end up with this because they could do it several times until you fail to save. And then you're going to be dealing only half damage. Yeah, for a round, and and that's just I don't know. <laughs> yeah, after you've been teleported across the battlefield and had your and had your attack roll reduced by D six, like this is the this yeah. is one of those that it, I think it like looks cool on paper, but in playtest, I I know as I was reading this, it's like as a DM, I would I would have a talk with the player, I just feel like listen, I can't, yeah. I just can't. No, it's um, <laughs> but we're not finished because we have a level fourteen feature of quantum tunneling. Um, your mathematical expertise extends to altering the fundamental equations of your very being. Uh, you gain resistance to uh, bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing, and then you can move through creatures and objects as if they were difficult terrain, taking D10 force damage for every five feet moved while inside of a creature or an object. Uh, that if you end your turn inside a creature or object, um, shunt it to the nearest mm -hmm. unoccupied space. Ooh, man. One thing that I do that I thought about this one is that while I get that this school is all about math, I feel like we could have gone with math names that might be in a actual fantasy setting versus things like quantum tunneling sure. and yeah. null equation. And, you know, just, these are sort of like modern names. Yeah. And I just yeah, feel like for, like for better fitting to any world to make this more useful and not just be magic, the gathering ish, uh, just, I don't know, something that feels more like math and physics rather than advanced, you know, yeah, non-Euclidean. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think I see where you're coming from. Like there's, there's math's old, right? Like there's a lot of history to draw on of, of yeah. for, for naming things. And it does feel very like modern or science fantasy, like, like the concept of it. it's very fancy and math and mm -hmm. is fundamental to magic in a way. Um, but it's an it's example where like naming can be a big thing 
um, how you present the something. All right, so Mage of Silver Quill. Um, this is a white-black school, the Silver Quill College, dedicated to the magic of words, whether encouraging speeches that uplift allies or piercing wit that derides foes. No surprise, the Bard, Warlock, and Wizard are on the list of required mm -hmm. classes. Your level one uh, Mage of Silver Quill feature, you learn one cantrip of your choice, either Sacred Flame or Vicious Mockery. You gain proficiency in two of the skills out of the list of deception, intimidation, performance, persuasion, or insight. Sure. All fun. Uh, Silvery Barbs is a level one feature. Immediately after a creature you can see within 60 feet of you succeeds on an attack roll, ability check, or save, you can use a reaction to demoralize them. Unless they're immune to being charmed, they re-roll the d20 and must use the lower roll. If this then fails, you can choose a different creature you see within 60 feet of you uh, you can choose yourself, and that creature becomes empowered and can reroll one attack roll, ability check, or saving throw makes within one minute and use the higher result. Mm. A creature that can be empowered, a creature can be empowered by only one use of this feature at a time. Um, so we again see this whole before the result is known business, which is weird to see, but yeah. this is a lot. This is like a level one. I'm like, wow, two, I didn't expect both benefits. Right? <laughs> yeah. As a reaction? That, that's it like i mean i guess it's technically competing for your counter spell or shield or something yeah. like that you know but that's pretty powerful but again we're like we're checking to see if somebody's failed and then forcing them to do yeah. you know re-roll and if that then you know and, and one it, like, benefit yeah you know, this says once a creature fails an attack roll ability check or saving throw because a re-roll is forced by this feature then you can't use this feature again until a long rest. So it's sort of like you can use this until it works. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So you expend a reaction to try this until it works. When it works, you know, you cause that bad the enemy to, to, to fail and you bolstered an ally. So it mm. is just yeah. once per long rest. That's the one good thing about it. But, uh, okay. but it's sort of... Uh, but you I can keep trying until it works. <laughs> I was going to say, I think by that point in the UA, I, was, I had just sort of coming across like the... Proficiency bonus per long rest uh, yeah. rider, so I missed this one. I kind of like that, though. It's yeah. like, okay, until it works. You know, you keep trying until it works. You, you get that one. I, I do like that, though. I'll it revise my, uh, my opinion. <laughs> yeah, it did for me, too. It sort of saved it. But I do think they should get rid of that before the result is known because that is yeah. a weird effect that yeah. DMs cannot, you know, it's very hard to sort of some not reveal what happens and when somebody rolls. Yeah. <laughs> we're trying to roll a quick we're trying to run a quick game so we look at the die and we see that number and we go uh, yep that I'll, hits yep i'll call out the dc because it's it's you know gonna speed things up yep <laughs> inky shroud is level six plus feature you learn the darkness spell and it's added to your class spell list if you're a wizard you added your spell book yada yada you can cast the spell without expending a spell slot you can't do so again until you finish long rest when you do that you can see normally through this darkness that you created and when a creature you can see starts its turn in the darkness, you deal 2d10 psychic damage to that creature. You can also cast the spell normally without these additional effects by using spell slots you have of second level or higher. Huh. Right. So you can see in this darkness and you get to deal damage to creatures that start in it. Yeah, yeah. It's just sort of like the Warlock Double Sights or Shadow Sorcerer trick. Um, yeah. So yeah, I could see that. I, these I find that these it depend on the party. Some some parties don't mind if if a big blob of darkness gets plopped down, mm -hmm. and others are like, "Hey, that's my line of sight," or "I was going to do something." So it's 
I think it's a lot of play group. But I think my biggest worry is we now we already had um, some groups that you'd hear about that would have every single uh, every single uh, character would take warlock levels to get devil sight, and then they would impose yeah. darkness and defeat everything. But now you don't even have to do that. There are enough Tasha's classes that can give you ways to see in the darkness, and now there's this as well. And so there's just these multiple ways that you could all be in darkness and all the time, all day long. And yeah, I, I know they're not trying to encourage DVD. that, but I can't <laughs> help but worry that there's going to be some competitive tournament someday. And, and the first thing people are going to think about is we always are in darkness. Nobody right, sees right. us. We see everybody. <laughs> yeah. And, and without even doing us the courtesy of playing an all drow party. <laughs> no, nope, not even. Uh, infusion of eloquence is your level 10 plus feature. When you cast a spell that deals damage, you invoke additional words of power to change the spell's damage type to your choice of either psychic or radiant. Any creature damaged by the spell takes extra damage equal to your proficiency bonus and has its emotions swayed with despair or adoration based on the damage dealt. So if you deal psychic, the creature is frightened until the start of your next turn. Radiant, they are charmed until the start of the next turn. And you can do this a number of times equal to proficiency bonus. Um, what's interesting is this really works with AOE. So you can oh, drop, yeah. you know, a fireball deal bonus proficiency, uh, bonus, uh, proficiency bonus worth of damage that is say psychic and they're all frightened or radiant and they're charmed. Um, yeah, and it's if that's... they're damaged. So even, even if they save, but it's a half damage spell, then you will affect them all. That's interesting. There's like in their damage, like usually like, especially charm effect, usually get like an extra save if you take yeah. damage or something and, just like the concept was like, okay, I harmed them and now they're, they don't, they're like going to attack me and I get a bonus to persuade them yeah. through a round. Like I, <laughs> fireball, I, I, on the other you, hand, you don't want to attack me. Uh, right. Yeah. That's <laughs> exactly, you know, like on the other hand, fear ball, like a psychic fear ball that that's awesome. Why isn't that already a spell? And, <laughs> and so yeah, I, what I like, what I noticed here was that these there's no secondary save. It's just if they take damage, it happens. And I kind of wish that we'd seen that with like the Prismari stuff, where it's just like no 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 second save needed. It happens, you know. Yeah. So yeah. All right, our last feature here: Word of Power. You can invoke a Word of Power that is the pinnacle of your magical study. One, two options: Deadly Despair. When the target of your Silvery Barbs fails an attack roll, ability check, or saving throw because of that reroll feature we got way back at level one, you can invoke a Word of Despair to give them vulnerability to one damage type of your choice on the start of your next turn. Uh, or Selfless Invocation. When a creature within 60 feet of you takes damage, you can invoke a Word of Power using your reaction to grant the creature resistance to that damage, and you take an amount of psychic damage equal to the damage that creature takes. Hmm. Interesting. So you would have that could potentially have like two resistances apply to that damage. Like you take like a you know if you had like mind blank gives you maybe one immunity to psychic. Maybe. Yeah. It's interesting. This is still off of silvery yeah. barbs, which you can only use once per day. Yeah. But um. But so now you can um. You know either buff them or debuff them. When when you well you make them re-roll and then you can choose to buff somebody. That's how, how the original feature works. And now mm -hmm. on top of it, you can do one of these two effects. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, I, I I'm looking at it and thinking of a spell like um, life transference, right? Which I think wizards would get. Yeah, so it's like 
you damage yourself to heal someone else. And then you also choose them as the one that's going to get healed because you're taking damage and using this feature or something Mm -hmm. like that. Like I could see that. I don't, it's very niche use, but (laughs) it's, it plays it as a weird uh, interaction. So the last college we have is Witherbloom. Uh, The mage of Witherbloom attends a college that is black green in terms of magic, the gathering colors. This Mm -hmm. is one I liked a lot. Uh, I immediately made a Luxodon Mage of Witherbloom. So Luxodons oh. are the elephant dudes. Uh, yep. And I decided that I had um, my, my, I was kind of all covered in mold. So I would use <laughs> Thorn Whip, which is actually my trunk, you yes. know, my, my Luxodon trunk and various other things like that. Uh, so cool. you're in this concept, you're dedica- dedicated to the alchemy of life and death and harnessing, harnessing the devastating energies of both. You have to be either Druid or Warlock. Um, your level one is no wizard here. No wizard. Yeah, that is interesting. That's interesting because I, this one is a very strong, like necromancer concept a, a mm-hmm. Witherbloom bloom of all of them. is, I think my favorite, and it's yeah. interesting that may that wizard got left off, uh, this yeah. one. Yeah. So your first feature is you get the cantrip spare the dying and you get both cure wounds and inflict wounds. So that's mm-hmm. pretty strong. Um, inflict wounds is just one of my favorite spells to use. You then also get some other spells at various levels, three, five, seven, nine. These include things like lesser restoration, revivify, blight, greater restoration, and mask your wounds. So <laughs> it's like you're a cleric here, um, but right, also yeah. with some dark sides like blight. Um, essence tap is a level one feature. As a bonus action, you can draw on a reservoir of life essence to empower yourself for one minute or until you use the feature again. For the duration, you gain one of the following benefits. Overgrowth, when you choose this benefit, and as a bonus action on subsequent turns, you can expend and roll one hit die. That's kind of unusual. Yeah. You regain a number of hit points equal to the number rolled plus your spellcasting ability modifier. So you can self-heal, self-spend your hit dice and use them. Yeah. I mean, that there's a... I mean, it increases as you gain levels, but it's kind of like you get, for a minute, you're not getting the full benefit of that like 10th level so yeah i mean it i it gets better as you you know the higher level you get but i can see it getting you in trouble but you can (laughs) use the uh feature over again so Mm -hmm. so you could swap to the other option which is withering strike when you deal damage you can change the damage type to necrotic and you ignore resistance to necrotic well that's very sweet um because i'm always going up and doing necrotic to something that can't deal with it or I use poison damage on something that can't take it. So now you can just make it necrotic and know that they will take the damage. And you can use this feature a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, and you regain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. Nice. Um, yeah, Wither Bloom Brew is level six plus feature. You gain proficiency with herbalism kits, kind of cool. And when mm-hmm. you finish a long rest, you can make a magic brew. You make a number of them equal to your proficiency bonus. Each one requires its own flask. It retains its potency for 24 hours or until used. And you choose an effect because <laughs> uh, they like using words. There are three features. Fortifying. This lets you choose a damage type from cold, fire, necrotic, poison, or radiant. If you drink it, you gain resistance for an hour. Quickening, second type. You can drink this brew or administer it to another creature. You get 2d6 hit points and one disease or condition from a list that we get is removed. All right. I always wonder, paralyze is one of them. And it's always that, I guess I can pour a potion into your lips somehow, but okay. Yeah, somehow. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm uh, not sure how that happens either. <laughs> and then the other one is toxifying. As an action, a yeah. creature can apply this brew to a simpler martial weapon. Next time you either fire the ammunition or use the weapon within an hour, you the target takes 2d6 poison damage and must make a con save or be poisoned for one minute, which is a long time. That is a long time, especially without a repeat save. Like, yeah. Yeah. I think this stacks up to like the alchemists like experimental elixir where it's like yeah. I know that the the fact that it was sort of randomized was a sore spot for some folks. And so I'm wondering, curious how that has that has influenced the design of this. Yeah. I mean this feels to me very strong. Yeah. Because herbalism kits is also how you make healing potions. Like if yeah. you have proficiency with that, you can make healing potions on top of these. So it's it's pretty um it's a pretty strong feature. Yeah, and you get a number of them, so you could easily say create, you know, toxifying and give them out to everybody to use, mm -hmm. or a mix of them, you know, a toxifying yeah. for for your rogue, and then you make a, a quickening to heal someone and cure a condition, and a fortifying for someone. Else. Yeah, it's it's, it's yeah, pretty it, flexible, it, interesting, pretty flexible, especially if you know if you're going to go fight something that one of these. Uh, resistances applies to you don't have to worry about like a concentration slot on on a you know energy protection or something so yeah it's a really strong feature i might be annoyed if i was an alchemist <laughs> <laughs> level 10 features wither bloom adept you connect your connection to the flow of life force deepens once per turn when you deal necrotic damage or restore hit points using a spell one target of the spell takes additional damage or regains additional hit points equal to your proficiency bonus yeah All right. Uh, but it yep. is all the time. So you're always yeah. getting a proficiency bonus added to healing or damage. Interesting. Yeah. It's not, and it's, so uh, that would be like any, like that would count cantrips as well. I think cause it's a, you yeah. don't have to spend a spell with a slot. So yeah. Uh, level 14 plus is withering vortex. When you cast a spell using a spell slot that deals necrotic damage to any number of creatures that aren't undead or constructs, choose one of the creatures that took damage. You drain an amount of life energy equal to half the damage dealt to the chosen creature. One creature other than yourself that you can see within 30 feet regains hit points equal to the life energy drained. You can do that a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, and you regain all expended uses and on long rest. Yeah. I think this is the one I was thinking of, like, life transference, and, but because it's a wizard spell, they don't get it how mm. it, that would be a nasty one. Yeah. But this is a, like, that's about a feature like master of life and death real is really what they're going for with that. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> this could be a lot of life. Um, it could be, yeah. <laughs> cause you could deal a lot of damage with some spells to one creature. Right. And give half that hit point value to someone. That's, that's impressive. Yeah. And the number I, of times equal to proficiency bonuses is, is a lot. Is a lot. Yeah. I, I think it's worth noting that like with warlocks, their spell slots cap out at five. So like, if you're a warlock of this, like you're, uh, Major Arcana or whatever it's called. I forget the ones that let you cast 7th, 8th, and 9th. Like, wouldn't yeah. qualify, I think, but still. Blight with this, yeah. that's that's nasty. Blight <laughs> would be bad. Be a good choice. All right, so that is the, uh, the Strixhaven Unearthed Arcana, and there mm -hmm. will probably be a poll up soon for it because it's been now out for a week or two. Mm -hmm. Um so let's transition from that, Jim, to uh, talking about apocalypses for, you know, 
a few minutes. Uh, we're, we've gone long a bit, but uh, but let, you know, let's spend ten minutes telling me a little bit about. Um, first, give me maybe the the uh, the thoughts in general when we're talking about an apocalypse setting. Mm-hmm. What are the characteristics of an apocalyptic fantasy setting? Oh, yeah. So to me, like a, a post-apocalyptic setting has the features of like a resource scarcity of, of living within the shadow of this fallen civilization, you know, the, to be the difference between like post-apocalyptic, whether it's science fiction or fantasy uh, or something like say forgotten realms, which features all kinds of cycles of civilizational collapse and rise is the like length of time since the last one. Mm. I'm playing a Forgotten Realms game and right after the fall of the Netherese Empire, it's post-apocalyptic. But you know, when you're running something like one of the adventure paths, it's it's not, it's something else. So like yeah. that quality of proximity to the collapse is important. Um and like something is scarce. Like with the, you know, the, the society that, that lives past this apocalypse has lost something, whether yeah. that's like you know, in science fiction, fantasy, uh, uh, post-apocalypse, it's like the knowledge of how to create all this, you know, they have to go pick through the ruins of their, you know, former homes and places that, that used to be uh, mundane and ordinary are now dangerous and, and ruined, but they're also familiar. And so, like, it's those elements that I think really define it, that, like, mm-hmm. living within the shadow of the prior civilization and within a few generations of the collapse and, like, it's just having to adapt to these circumstances where, you know, we, we have less than what we used to have, maybe dramatically less. Yeah. Um, and like the hostility of the environment is, is another feature of that to me, whether it's just like, you know, it's, we did this to ourselves through magical catastrophe or, or you know, <laughs> nuclear war or something, you know, or if it's just like, well, we just don't have the means to, produce what we need we're, we're diminished uh in that sense so like i like it because it provides this harsh background on which to be, be a hero yeah but for me like when i'm playing a game like it's easy to be a hero when it doesn't cost me anything mm. and mm. and i i can just like okay well yeah this is it says i wrote down neutral good on my sheet like of course i do it but like if the choice is whether my character survives or an innocent does, and they're in the position to help, do I help them with my limited resources? Like if my, if my character's survival isn't assumed, then the choice to be heroic is that much more like elevating to me. Yeah, yeah, Cause yeah. like, it's easy to murder hobo, murder hobo is how, <laughs> like how everybody else is surviving right. out here, <laughs> you know? And, but if I don't want that, if I want a more heroic, gameplay it like really reinforces the sacrifice of it and i find it it's this it's this nice juxtaposition um unfortunately in in a lot for a lot of folks and myself included like the actual like keeping track of all of that and and dealing with like the resource management of wilderness survival can be tedious and and like a drain on gameplay um i think that's a lot of folks experience with that kind of game um but I have had it in games where it's not tedious, where it's quite enjoyable, and it makes for such great gaming. Yeah. Yeah. And what are some of the kind of classic apocalyptic settings that we've seen in, in either D and D or other games as well? I, I think like Dark Sun is the big one. 
that comes to mind is certainly a big influence uh, for uh, uh, for me. Like, I, I remember hearing about Dark Zone. It's like you, you roll five d four for your stats, then you got to make like five characters at once and start at level three because it's so harsh. And like, it yeah. was that kind of hard mode. D&D well, Dark Sun, <laughs> Dark Sun took that apocalypse idea and said that because of the apocalypse, everything you kind of hold to be true it yeah. can change, which was, uh, to me, it, what I love the most about Dark Sun. I played a lot of Dark Absolutely. Sun in, in various editions. And what I loved was that it was things like, you know, like halflings have these kind of baby faces, like mm-hmm. little kids, but they're cannibals. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the... the Elves are not, you know, some ancient civilization full of pride and, you know, mm-hmm. ancient lore and stuff. They are uh, thieves who live in these gangs oh, yeah. throughout the wastelands and will <laughs> take every, will probably leave you dead on the side of the road. And so it just, oh, yeah. it just threw everything you knew upside down. So it was all new and all fresh, which is something you can do with an apocalypse. You can, you can. It is a good excuse, and and, and like in a lot of ways, a, a post-apocalyptic setting is just good to shake things up. It's a, it provides a convenient narrative uh, fiction for for that kind of thing, and, and I think that's that what Dark Sun was trying to do with that of like introducing Thrycreen and like everything is psionic, and you know, and like magic defiles this place. It, that's how this place became a desert in the first instance. You know, like all of that, like with the Bromart and and just like. To me, captured my imagination, which is already primed for post-apocalyptic stuff and Land of the Apes and things like that. But when I'm thinking in terms of just pure D&D settings, like in this case, D&D adjacent, because like Gamma World predates Dark Sun. And I love the gonzo weirdness of Gamma World. I love that your character is going to be changed in their life of adventure out in the wasteland, that you can wander into pockets of transmuting radiation and come out just looking like a total action figure from the 80s you know like, right right <laughs> uh it, yeah. it appeals to me yeah. <laughs> and you can be fighting with a stop sign you know as your yeah. sort of pole arm type weapon or anything mm-hmm. like that and <laughs> I, th- there have been some classic gam world for the for the fourth edition of gam world there were some great adventures that did things like you'd go to the seattle needle because it's you know there's some <laughs> yeah. signal coming out of it or something like that and and just this weird you know where you kind of barely know where you are as, mm-hmm. as a person who lives in this actual world but but it makes it all the more fun and, and entertaining yeah absolutely and yeah. things like yeah. shadow of the demon lord is a mm-hmm. uh is, is actually a one where it's not quite post-apocalyptic it's it's on the edge of it yeah, um, ongoing apocalypse yeah. or, you know imminent imminent apocalypse kind of yeah yeah, yeah they do a really good job of, of just the way the, the story structure sort of set up and shadow the demon Lord of like, okay, 11 games. That's all you got to worry about. And like yeah. each one you see the collapse get progressively closer and closer. And yeah, you don't want the demon Lord to show up. It's terrible. It's an apocalypse. And like, it's one of those things where, where for me, weird wastelands is very much informed by the Mornland in Eberron and dark sun Mm-hmm. And it's kind of easy to forget that, like, divine apocalypses, whether it's, um, like, in Shadow of the Demon Lord or the Cataclysm in Dragonlance, are also a big part of D&D. Like, I ran a, a third edition Midnight game, which was part of the same setting search that, that uh, Juice Eberron. And the evil god wins, kicks out all the other good gods, and seals the world <laughs> off. It's like Sauron wins, corrupts the Fellowship, you know? And 
for the first few levels of the of play, like food and water are treasure. Like the players are tracking down like sacks of grain and ambushing orc patrols because they've got <laughs> timber to build things with, you know, and it it like it, it's a very different style of game. And then, you know, as they level up, you move on to bigger and better things. But it started out as very like nitty gritty resource survival kind of game. That's cool. So let's talk yeah. a little bit about Weird Wasteland. So you've got this yeah. Kickstarter. It's it's way over funding. Uh, it's doing really well. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. And thank you. Yeah. By the time this comes out, folks will have a little under two weeks. They'll have something like 13 days or yeah. something. I'm not, my math's not perfect, but uh, but currently it has 20 days, and this will probably post four days. You have something like, I guess you'll have around two weeks to back it. Um, so tell me, given all this awesomeness of post-apocalyptic settings, uh, how this project came together. Ooh, yeah, so we, we you know... Being YouTubers and and sort of put our our content out there for RPG folks, we get a lot of questions about like, okay, when you're going to do this, when you're going to do that, it's especially after uh, Colville's Kickstarter blew up and uh, and you know yep. it sort of became a well, all right, YouTuber, your next kind of moment. And like, I'm an RPG supplement snob. Like, I just am. I'll be honest. I I buy a lot of them. I like a lot of them. But I have high standards. And and I was like, well, I don't know. Can I? Do I want to do this? Like, I. I didn't pursue a PhD because I was like, I really don't like writing. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's. I'm told that I'm told I'm all right at it. I'm told I'm good at it, but it's it's not a uh, pleasant experience. Uh -huh. um, but academic writing is very different than than uh, you know game design, and we just started thinking about it. Uh, you know, about what kind of book we would want. And about a year ago, I got in touch with Two C Gaming. We've done some freelance work from the, for them, and yeah, they're great. Uh, yeah, asked asked them to sort of like be a writing coach and get myself in shape both from a design perspective as I was making that transition from homebrew DM who makes a lot of his own content but has a very intuitive and carefree approach to it to someone's going to pay cash money for this thing that they expect to function and work without you being at the table to guide them through it yeah. so that's a big big difference and I wanted to make sure that if we were going to be asking our supporters and people who don't know us to support this project that I could say with confidence, like I've been preparing for this. And right. so a lot of that was like writing and design and the product itself uh, changed during that time until we approached this concept of a toolkit book. Mm -hmm. And for me, the supplement I've been missing for 5e uh, is, is reminiscent of those third edition Sandstorm, Frostburn, Stormrack kind of supplements yeah. of are you going to run a, a, a game in a desert? This is everything you need out on the ocean, everything you need. And of uh, wanting to produce something like that and something for players and DMs. And it is, uh, it'll have implied setting elements to it. You can't help that, right? Like there's going to be encounter tables right. and things like that that imply things right. about the world, but for as much as possible to present a box of toys and tools mm -hmm. that groups can put the game together with. Some groups are going to want to lean heavily into that wilderness survival. We're keeping track of our resources and day-to-day -day survival is part of that. And we want to support that style of game. But some people just aren't. And they yeah. want to go adventure in these weird places and, and have a fun sort of like Mad Max-themed D&D romp, um, it, whether for a few sessions or short campaign or, or whatever, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. We don't want to prescribe any particular type of gameplay. We'd rather provide as many things as we could 
cram into it to support um, the sorts of things we enjoy about post-apocalyptic uh, and weird wastelands. Awesome. And how uh, how did you find that that process as you all started to to create this? Uh, what are some of the, the surprises or challenges you had when you were going through this process of put of finalizing this product? Yeah. I, like, did you have too much material? Did you? It's sometimes in did some you ways struggle yeah. over which way to present it or. Yeah. The biggest challenge for me from a, a design perspective is like, excuse me, excuse me. Sorry about that. Mm -hmm. uh, um, the biggest challenge that I found for me is uh, as a designer is, you know, when I would sit down to create something homebrew, I, it's a blank piece of paper. My DM notebook is a sketchbook, right? Like I, I will make a grid if I need one, I will draw a diagram if I need one. It's very visual because this is the thing I'm preparing for myself to run at the table and it's yeah. specific. So not being able to see what it's going to look like on the page <laughs> as I'm creating it has proved a sort of challenge for me as I'm like, well, wait a minute, if it were me, I'd have the map and it'd be right here and it'd be a, a shorthand <laughs> yeah. abbreviated. And I go, wait a minute, the new DM who's doesn't have your experience and isn't living inside your head needs more than that. And so the challenge of getting enough information in a way that's readable um, is a challenge. I can see why adventure supplements get wordy. Uh, you, you have a, a degree of wanting to account for a lot of things that you can't. And I know for us, one of the things that we're doing is saying, we're going to trust the players in the DM to, to figure it out. Like we don't want to leave them hanging. We don't want to like suggest things and then not support that, but we can't account for everything. It'd be a, 800 page book. You wouldn't want to use it, <laughs> you know? Um, but I love, I love designing stuff. I love designing stuff for fifth edition. Yeah. I find it very easy given the way that the rules based or exceptions based rules based design works. You know, word salads coming out of my mouth now. No, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Cause you can just look at a little quirk of something and go, well, what if it was different? Mm -hmm. Like, and, and for positive or benefit, you know, benefit, like, what if you're cursed with needing to eat dirt instead of drink water <laughs> or, you know, you can, you know, interact with dark vision in this unique way. And so I find it very enjoyable to like, look for those little ways, especially if they haven't really been expressed yet in order to embody some concept thematically uh, and have it have teeth and substance. Yeah. There's a ton here that looks interesting. Uh, I wish we had the time to go into all of it. You've got a Scion class. You've got subclasses that have neat names like uh, the Techno Wizard and the Scavenger Ranger uh, mechanics for exploration and things like that. Um, but uh, but as we as we so I'll, I'll just say the folks go check out the Weird Wastelands Kickstarter and you can read all about what's going on here. There's a lot of fun yeah, yeah. Uh, to see. Every video uh, that we're putting out uh, for the length of the Kickstarter relates to some aspect of it. So we've already had one on like the ways in, that we're looking at, uh, well, as Emma has said it, fixing wilderness exploration, <laughs> uh, but she's the one in charge of SEO, uh, <laughs> like our tips to address it. Or, um, I think by now, or maybe the next week's video will be uh, the, our video on the psionic uh, class. So oh, cool. uh, a lot of these we dive into on a, uh, uh, on our, our YouTube channel, if folks want to check that out. So, so anyone who's listening to this and maybe they, they just finished doing that DMS challenge and they're thinking, you know, <laughs> one day I'd love to launch my Kickstarter. 
Yeah. Um, what, what, what advice would you give to somebody who has that dream of one day seeing a product that is in print, some hardback supplement that has their name <laughs> on it? Uh, what, what's, what's a path you might suggest for them or tips you have for them? Let's say that it's work. And so a lot of times you might, you know, you might get excited because like the idea of, a, of it is exciting to you, but then you get into the, the weeds of it, you get the trenches and you've got to do revisions and, and every, you know, approach it from a perspective of a little bit every day of, of learning as you go and the enthusiasm you might feel in the beginning is needs to be tempered because you can burn yourself out. And what I've found myself, and this is like, I'm speaking as much to myself as I am to our prospective audience. This is how I operate yeah. if, I don't, if I'm not careful, um, is to like, a, it's a combination of pacing yourself in like, managing that motivation because there's going to be a time where you're like, I just don't want to go through with it. I'm, I'm, I've brainstormed. I've, I've halfway finished a draft. I kind of know what it would look like. Can't I just, isn't this enough? <laughs> but, you know, and like it might be for a, a homebrew game, but I think for something that you're going to put out there for others to see, it's worth to go through with uh, the rest of the work. Like a game supplement is to me valuable when it gives me something I couldn't come up with off the top of my head and takes that extra step, takes that time to, to imagine more than what I can just come up with or, you know, a DM could come up with, or you've done the hard work for me. There's a lot of math involved. There's a, a procedure that, that needs to be written out step by step and made sure it doesn't fall apart when you try to play with it. Um, if you've done that hard work of play testing and designing and the like, then that adds value and that's, it's worth it to then present that to prospective players and say like, Hey, I made this for you. Yeah. I think you'll have fun with this. This <laughs> is a good time for you and your friends because that's the whole point of all the design and information yeah. presentation and things. Um, so yeah, I think the advice is to just don't give up when it gets hard and mm -hmm. just understand that, especially if you're getting feedback, which I would highly encourage having a pair of eyes on it. That is not yours. Mm -hmm editing content, you know, word choice, whatever it is. Like there's so many things that are valuable. Having someone else look at it, finding a community of people who can support you. Um, yeah. because it's worth it. It's very worth it to, to, to see that product finished and to, to, to look at it and go like, it might not be perfect. It's mine. I made yeah. it here. It is. <laughs> Absolutely. It's a great feeling. Yeah. Well, great. Thank you, Jim. I appreciate that. It's been a pleasure. Uh, Congratulations to the team. I'm a backer. I'm excited to see where this yeah, uh, ends up. <laughs> um, all right. So we want to give our Patreon shout outs to everybody. Thank you to all our listeners and to all of our patrons out there. If you like the show, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash MMP. Uh, Jim, where can people find you and WebDM on social media to follow your work to see what's going on? Yeah, so uh, WebDM all over the place. Uh, WebDM's on Twitter, Facebook, and the like under WebDM. Um, of course, we have our YouTube channel. Uh, the, our second one, WebDM Plays, is our actual play archive. Um, with, that is where my Land Between Two Rivers game, which is my Dark Sun uh, homage and love letter, uh, is mm -hmm. posted, if you'd like to check that out. Um, Sweet. And <laughs> I myself am intermittently on Twitter, uh, usually just retweeting or or uh, hearting something, you know, uh, at the real Jim Davis. But for WebDM stuff, our main accounts uh, are a place to go. Excellent. 
Well, you can find me on Twitter at AlphaStream and now on the Misdirected Mark forums as well. You, uh, I maintain a blog at AlphaStream.org where you can subscribe and follow all of my articles. Sean, who uh, will be back at some point from Slaying Monsters, can be found on Twitter at Sean.Merwin. Uh, no dot, just at Sean Merwin. And uh, he also hangs out at the forums. You can follow our podcast directly on Twitter at MasteringDnd. We always look forward to your advice. Thanks for the kind comments. Mastering Dungeons is a misdirected Mark production, the media arm of Encoded Designs. Hey, Jim, what are we going to go do now? We're going to go out those weird wastelands and kill some monsters. Woo! Awesome. <laughs>